welcome to CAD Speaker Series Podcast. This week, Cassandra Ling, CID Student Ambassador, is interviewing Dr. Priya Darshani Joshi of the recently published 2016 Global Education Monitoring Report, which is an editorially independent report published by UNESCO. Priya Darshani just delivered a talk on the report, which presents a comprehensive vision of the ways in which education is linked to the other 16 Sustainable Development Goals and details the implications for monitoring the education goal. This event was co-sponsored by the Weatherhead Center for International Affairs. Dr. Priya Josi, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I was wondering, to start off, if you could first provide a brief overview of the 2016 Global Education Monitoring Report, or the GEM Report, as well as how it ties to the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Thank you so much, Cassandra, and thank you to uh, the Kennedy School for having me here. The 2016 Global Education Monitoring Report is the first in a 15-year in a series. It is the, an editorially independent monitoring report, which is mandated to monitor SDG 4, which is one of the 17 SDGs. And with regards to your question on how it is tied to the UN Sustainable Development Goals, it is very much at the heart of it. Uh, and by that I mean it is both the monitoring uh, tool that will be used to monitor SDG 4, but the report itself, the 2016 report, um, also discusses education's role in the development agenda at large. So how education is linked to all of the other development goals. It discusses issues uh, such as uh, the need for multisectorality. So as a result, uh, I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find any other report that is as tied to the sustainable development agenda from any other sector. Right, so I've taken a look at the report, 620 pages long. <laughs> so I'm wondering for our listeners, could you provide some of the main takeaways that, uh, that stemmed from this report? And along with that, what are certain trends that we're seeing in education? And are there particular areas where globally we're vastly improving in and others that are not fearing as well, such as with refugee education or with girls' education? I would say that uh, the, this is a vast report, as you mentioned. Uh, the main takeaway, the main key message that we've, been go we've gone around and um, discussed with both uh, national stakeholders as well as in all of the events uh, we've been to is that business as usual, education as usual would not suffice. What that means is that if we... Uh, we need a fundamental break from past trends, um, and um, without that, um, we will not be able to meet any of the development goals and any of the education targets. For instance, uh, the, the main key message uh, on universalizing education at the primary and secondary level is that uh, we will be at least 50 years behind globally in meeting that goal. And uh, in sub-Saharan Africa, the goal will not be reached until, the, uh, until after the end of the century. So uh, this calls for you know, significant changes, uh, both at the policy level, the financing level, the way we sort of you know, deal with these issues within education system, within education sectors, as well as other places. On the question of where we're improving, I think we would say that there's been a lot of investment and advocacy and an emphasis on girls' education. There's been an emphasis on access to education. Um, but this is sort of uh, something that has been going on for the last 15 years, which is why we're seeing some of the benefits now. Uh, gender parity, uh, the number of girls uh, to boys uh, in, uh, in schooling has improved quite dramatically. But given that the agenda is expanding even further, I think we speak, we find that there are a lot of things that left to, are left to be done. Uh, you pointed out refugee education. Um, this is a, an evolving problem, and I think it is, a, it is a mistake often to think of it as an emergency situation that, has to be, that needs to be resolved in the short term. 
there's a lot more that needs to be done for sustainability of these uh, um, uh, populations um, in the like where they settle. So uh, beyond that, there's a lot of other challenges that we face. And building off of that, in the Millennium Development Goals, there was a huge emphasis on creating access to mm-hmm. education. Mm-hmm. And now with SDG 4, quality education, we're seeing the shift to focusing on ensuring quality education for mm-hmm. students. And so when thinking about the initial challenges to getting students into school, so lack of transportation, maybe a lack of teachers or mm-hmm. a lack of actual physical school yeah. uh, schools, how do we balance that need to increase and improve access uh, to education with focusing on providing that quality? Um, I'd like to take you a little bit further back on this issue. Like if we look at the Education for All agenda, which was the more comprehensive agenda on education, it was a fairly significant goal. It uh, it had discussions on um, access quality. It had discussions on adult literacy, etc. What happened, you know, historians will uh, speak to this, is the MDGs narrowed the focus to basic education. And um, the question of uh, why was the progress made just on access is, you know, is a complicated uh, sort of question that links to issues of political will, issues of financing, prioritization by go- governments. Our perspective has always been that access and quality cannot be, you know, um, are not mutually exclusive. For, for instance, you know, in Tanzania, they were able to improve access, and at the same time, they were able to improve quality. And broadly speaking, you know, as quality itself gets complicated, and as we, you know, move to shift to the agenda where we start talking about not just skills, but also you know, education for sustainable development, education for global citizenship, even that whole perspective has to change. So um, I think the question you ask is a very important one, which is that how do we uh, not make the same mistakes of, uh, you know, of narrowing our focus? And, you know, our report basically documents all of the neat things that we need to do, but of course we have to ramp up financing, we have to ramp up our focus on equity to be able to do that. And how do you see the role then of UNESCO and other multinational organizations in assisting countries in achieving SDG 4? And more broadly speaking, the role, the various roles of uh, sector, like the public-private sector, governments, foundations? UNESCO is uh, the UN's agency on education, so it has been the coordinating mechanism um, both for the AFA period and it will also be the coordinating mechanism going forward. Um, it will be convening you know, all of the agencies involved, civil society, NGOs, and, and actually, as you, as, as you sort of hinted at, the, the UN would like to encourage the private sector role uh, further in the new agenda. A lot of our recommendations and our thoughts on what needs to happen uh, stem from the perspective of monitoring, and uh, that means that you, know, you have to better measure, and when you better measure, you can be able to highlight the issues that need attention and and then that can sort of get the ball rolling. So a lot of our thinking revolves around the issues of regional collaborations. Countries should learn at the regional level because, you know, unlike global mechanisms, regional mechanisms can be more more effective for qualitative information sharing, um, you know, on system to strengthen systems. At the global level, we have to work on better sort of, you know, household survey data, et cetera, um, that, um, that helps us give a real good picture on, on education. And at the national level, there are various things that need to be done, such as improving how we're measuring financing, like the household share of, on financing, our education ministries and, you know, statistical agencies working together, et cetera. So um, it is our role, uh, and we, it is also our hope that this report, um, our report, will be used as an instrument for change um, and you know, uh, will be used to build capacity and thoughts. So on the yeah. note of change, what yes. do you think will be the next big idea 
in tackling barriers to global education? To answer that question is a bit tricky because you know, <laughs> we're not in the business of big ideas in the same way. Mm -hmm. I'd like to answer the question a bit differently. Um, and I think the big change we need is an, is an innovation in perspective. And by that I mean that if we are serious about tackling, about using education uh, to, for sustainable development, to achieve our sustainable development goals, then we need to be tackling all aspects of education, um, education not just for skills development and you know chasing sort of the best country uh, model, like that kind of model. We also have to be providing all other kinds of education. Um, we have to be working, education and other sectors have to work much more seriously together. Uh, we can't blame too much, we can't just keep uh, placing too much of the blame on education for, let's say, capacity building or workforce development. If we look at it from the perspective of the education sector itself, I think, um, the innovations have to happen uh, in terms of capacity to really be able to handle so much you know, new work, which is lifelong learning is an agenda that goes from cradle to grave. Are we, as I mentioned earlier, are we measuring? Uh, are we monitoring what's happening? Um, and because as we know, you know what, me what gets measured uh, then, then can be implemented in policy. People Awareness increases through measurement. And uh, something that we will focus more on uh, the next report is, which is on accountability in education, is this question of does um, do do systems of accountability actually lead to improving systems, or are we just focusing on you know holding certain actors responsible? So my answer really is that uh, innovations in perspective, and it's um, it might be a bit more of an academic answer, but I think that's much needed. Still hopeful all the yeah. same. So I'd like to close this interview with a question that was very popular and uh -huh. requested by many students, and that is, what advice would you give to students per hopeful to are interested in pursuing a career in international education development? Or do you see any skills that are in scarce supply or um, certain ones that are in high demand? Perhaps going back to the monitoring, <laughs> the m and &E, skills that you were mentioning? Again, uh, it's such a big field. A career is an individual's decision, you know, like how they see uh, their path evolving. It really depends on where you want to, where you see yourself. Um, it is, you know, education is so vast. Uh, there's uh, interaction, there, there's sort of involvement that you can have that is closer to the ground, if that is what is of interest to you. Uh, there's an in interaction that you can have sort of at the middle level of, you know, dealing with, with the different kinds of um, sort of actors involved in it. Yeah, there's uh, interaction you can have at the high level, the macro level kind of work that I do. Um, there's also, you know, policy project intervention type work. And um, there's also research, right? So, so different types of uh, activities call for different types of skills. And I think first you have to identify that for yourself. Like, what do you, where do you see your key core interests uh, in? What I have found is that uh, you, um, broadly speaking now, you know, even though you, know, you might prioritize one thing or the other, uh, language skills are very key, especially if you really want to uh, you know, project that, um, that you care about this uh, world especially if you're, let's say, interested in Francophone Africa, it'll be good if you know some French, <laughs> uh, and so on and so forth. If you're interested in monitoring and evaluation, you know, build up those skills. Um, that is always in high demand, especially uh, when, you know, many agencies uh, are trying to build uh, more impact evaluations into their work, etc. What I find interesting, what I find to be a real gap uh, right now is, and this work has sort of opened my eyes to this, is the NGO work, the NGO intervention, um, a lot of sort of civil society interventions are very innovative and they tend to be much more locally relevant and may, may even be, you know, very good for sustainable development, you know, in the many ways we define it. 
but often the uh, programmatic work does not match with sort of an evidence, like a, the rigor of the evidence base. So if there are more in people involved in sort of, you know, figuring out this complex problem of programmatic, the, you know, of giving sort of more validity to all of that work that's happening, I think we will, um, people like us will benefit at the global level, but I think a lot of others will benefit just by uh, dissemination of that message. But yes, you have to follow what you think. You have, to, you have to constantly investigate what you are interested in, I think. It's not an easy answer, and, you know, as you move in your career, you evolve. You know, constantly talk to people who, are, who have been in the job for many years, and uh, yeah, keep your skills um, relevant and keep working on them. All right, thank you so much yeah. for sharing your perspectives yeah. and for taking time to, uh, to sit with us. We hope you enjoy the rest of your time in Cambridge. Thank you so much. If you want to learn more about CID and our events, please visit cid.harvard.edu.